welcome to a new episode on the journal of knowledge podcast i hope you all enjoyed our previous episode on legal literacy and why it was important in the present times today we are here to talk on the burning issue of israel and palestine conflict after the deadly attack on israeli cities by the hamas i would like to once again thank our media partner for collaborating with us on this episode news amster is a popular digital news outlet based in bangalore do check out their coverage on local national and international news i would also like to thank all of you because of which we are now on 20 platforms and we are still trying to expand it beyond this number as well it is all because of your committed support that we are able to reach this important milestone coming back to the topic at large exactly in 1973 in the month of october during the festival of yom kippur egypt and syria launched a surprise attack on israel exactly 50 years later in the same time period it was hamas that launched a surprise attack killing many civilians firing rockets and also taking the world at surprise although israel palestine issue is more than a century old it would be a very long discussion we if we were to speak more on it which would be kept aside for another day today we are discussing the latest updates and the impact on india and rest of the world so without wasting time i'll invite mahesh to introduce himself he has a very amazing cv is a trained academic in ir finance and geopolitics and he also has a working experience with deloitte and various diplomatic missions he has written over 80 articles on geopolitics and published it with the pulse and he is also a linguist apart from that knowing to speak fluently seven languages which is indeed a great achievement happy to have you here mahesh today so he was my classmate and a good friend of mine in the past two years so without wasting time mahesh um, i urge you to introduce yourself and we can hey jaram uh, hi viewers i'm mahesh aditya so uh, as uh, jaram rightly pointed out uh, jaram has been my uh, friend for uh, two years now and uh, we did our masters uh, in christ university and the thing is uh, i'm mainly interested uh, in uh, integrating uh, finance economics and geopolitics so economic diplomacy or financial diplomacy is my forte and um, also uh, worked with uh, the russian cultural center which comes under the consul general of the russian federation and um, uh, that's about it i mainly focus on uh, uh, eurasian uh, geopolitics and middle east uh, so since uh, middle east is now has been a talk of a town uh, uh, it's my privilege to talk in this particular podcast about uh, middle east to the topic so what exactly do you think about the current situation and why exactly just a headset before we go on to the uh, main theme of this particular podcast i would like to just uh, give a disclaimer it's not more of a disclaimer it's more of a normal understanding so uh, for the viewers out there and for the listeners uh, through this podcast i would like to say that uh, geopolitics is a field wherein there is no binary answer to it there's no yes or right or right or wrong or uh, even good uh, black or white so in between there's a thing called gray color so uh, especially if you see the middle eastern politics you have several layers of gray uh, you have different perspectives uh, which you cannot say that this is right or this is wrong or uh, your pers- uh, perceptions might differ uh, 
you can't come into decisive conclusion this is the reason for this particular thing and that is the reason uh, you'll just put a comma and you'll be having a lot of if and buts and a lot of exceptions so with this i would like to answer the uh, question the first question asked by jayram so the thing is okay so in the last 10 years if you look at the trajectory uh, they haven't israel haven't had a war like proper war they haven't faced a war uh, in the 21st century to be more precise and uh, if i have to uh, come up with a particular date from 2022 23 onwards they haven't even had a war that's because they they were mainly focusing on their domestic development and their domestic politics facing clearly three prime ministers have changed repeatedly benjamin netanyahu has been there then came naftali bennett then came air lapid and even after them uh, benjamin netanyahu uh, came to the uh, leadership again so there has been political turbulences within their own country so this had been taken advantage by the external players so what we call external players are literally their neighbors uh be it the palestinian liberation authority a plo the fatah we call it as the fatah the legitimate government in palestine is called fatah that one uh the hamas which is uh, uh it's it, it is a terrorist organization designated organization uh then you have hezbollah and you have other countries such as iran iraq uh you have syria lebanon so on and so forth so the thing is for the past decade they haven't focused mainly on building their economic uh, they, they haven't uh, focused on building their internal strengths they have mainly uh, looked upon their economic uh, development they haven't uh, made serious effort to look in their territorial disputes they mainly concentrated more on having their establishments relocating their uh, citizen to uh, a lot uh, to major portions of uh, so called palestine area so this has been on the forefront but the security aspects has been in the secondary thing so this is one of the main uh, fueling point for this particular war coming to do you think there was an in, big intel failure mainly from mossad and also if any other um, intelligence agency say like cia or any important agency failed to actually understand that there was a attack that was being planned behind the door and behind the veil amidst a holiday especially after say 50 years i get the question so we just go according to the order because the question which you asked uh, uh, the question which you asked had actually uh, two major sub points so i'll just explain one by one so first is um, yes uh, in this 50 years it is true that they haven't had a full fledged war after yom kippur uh 73 war they haven't had a full fledged war but the point to be noted over here is that they've been having frequent skirmishes in the border areas uh mainly if you see uh in the west bank area uh you have cities such as nablus uh ramla is the seat of government but apart from that you have nablus and uh, jinion places like that so mainly in those areas you've been having a lot of disputes local disputes so there there have been frequent bombings that also took place uh, in this 50 years and we also know for the fact that after 90s uh, the after the oslo accords uh, the palestinian liberation organization plo that was headed by yasser rafat it was it was recognized as a legitimate government 
um so after these things came into place even after that they've been having certain skirmishes so full fledged war is uh, is it absolute no but regular fighting and regular killing there has been taken place so the point to which here is that we all know only about mossad uh we don't uh, mossad is actually an external intelligence agency in the sense they collect intelligence information only from the outside sources but they have their domestic sources which is called shinbet uh if i have to give an example in india we have um raw and ib raw is actually the external intelligence agency that works for india and ib is domestic similarly in us you have cia and fbi so likewise they have mossad and shinbet so what shinbet so this uh intelligence lack of intelligence which you had asked one of the main contributors for it was actually shinbet they didn't do proper research on what are the reasons what are the speculation they didn't do didn't have a lot of spe- uh, didn't have proper reason as to uh how these people so they didn't have a reason as to how hamas people or any other terrorist organization how will they plan a near future so they lack this particular skill so one of the main thing is that uh, uh they literally focused on long term goals but they didn't focus on short term goals the long term goals was both mossad and shinbet was ready to actually overcome a lot of um the pressures from external agencies for instance countries like iran syria or lebanon they were prepared for these agencies but within their own uh, territories for instance gaza is actually controlled by hamas it's not controlled by palestinian authority so they were not ready any attack from hamas they were only ready to face their neighbors so shinbet what they did was they were mainly focusing on west bank shinbet's main target was actually west bank because west bank had the largest population uh, compared to gaza and uh, west bank also had backings of several other countries because they had fatah fatah is, as i said before it's a legitimate government so since hamas the terrorist organizations what they felt was they had uh they had superiority over technological advancements and superiority in technological warfare so this is one of the major reasons why uh, they had failed because shinbet didn't do proper research on what they are supposed to do as a domestic uh intelligence gatherer and the second thing is that uh hamas literally they did their homework to the core i should say this because the amount of research that hamas did was actually exemplary uh i can give you one particular uh, instance uh, so in this particular case when we talk about intelligence we uh, a lot of people also raised the question as in uh why <clears throat> the iron dome didn't work correct so uh, this is one of the major uh, points that a lot of people ask and um, i have been doing analysis and uh, one of the major things is that hamas had studied iron dome for several years from 2014 i guess uh iron dome came into operation from 2014 looking and not sure uh but the thing is that after that for the past 2 3 years especially after covid hamas has really been studying iron dome like anything so what they did was they calculated the radar system the brain that is uh, you you call the particular system as the brain so they calculated the number of rockets that the brain can actually uh read and the radars can detect like they literally calculated 
with a stipulated period of time, how many rockets do the radar capture? So they literally studied that. So what uh, they found it was for a particular period of time in a limited time scale, uh, only limited number of rockets can be uh, traced by uh, the Iron Dome. So they literally fired 200, 300 rockets at the same time within a stipulated period of time. Per seconds, they had actually fired a lot of rockets, which the Iron Dome failed to trace. This is one such study which Hamas did from their own end. So these are some of the things which Mossad, nor Shinbeth, they failed to anticipate. They should have anticipated all these things. They actually, they didn't, uh, more than anticipation, they actually sort of, uh, they didn't recognize what Hamas could do. They didn't recognize the potentiality of Hamas. So this is one of the main things why, uh, from intelligence point of view, this is one of the main things why, uh, main reasons why uh, Israel failed in this particular intelligence man. That Israeli defense forces would be so unguarded, especially on most of its borders, including the southern border. Where it, where it has to counter a big enemy like Hamas, where uh, the entire Gaza Strip was blockaded since, I guess, 2009. So, was it a lapse from the Israeli Defense Forces on keeping less number of troops on the southern border while keeping a lot of troops in the West Bank area and thinking that Hamas wouldn't do anything? So, how do you see this particular instance as well as the other question which about what about the other external agencies, including there was a news that Egyptian intelligence had warned Israel that there might be something extraordinary coming from Gaza. So even uh, that particular media says that Israel ignored this particular message from Egypt. So how do you put all these together and see that there was a massive systemic failure as well? So the first thing is that coming to your first part of your question, this is where the political game starts in. The political game kicks in really so one particular i wouldn't mention the leadership obviously so one particular leader who was in the seat of government he said that we need utmost protection near golan heights near the border of syria one particular leader said we need maximum protection near lebanon uh, because of the uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, risk factors due to his hezbollah one particular leader said we have to go towards gaza and one particular leader voted for the West Bank protection. So this is the main, uh, the reason why I had highlighted uh, the three uh, term uh, leadership uh, initially was that every single leader differed by their own opinions. So there were lack of, uh, they didn't come into a general consensus as to what they are supposed to be really, who are their real targets are. So it was scattered. So uh, one particular uh, people like one particular I would say one particular I wouldn't say battalion but one particular regiment or uh, a force of IDF they were mainly concentrated around only West Bank few IDF officers were also uh, commissioned near Gaza but one point that, that should be noted was Gaza the uh, territory of Gaza was mainly focused uh, for re-establishment of Jewish population over there so we also knew that uh, Saudi, Arabia, Saudi Arabia is uh, a big player in the Middle East and no one can avoid it. So if they come in with a peace negotiation with Israel, that's going to be really a big deal, correct? Uh, but um, with this particular instance, I'm sure that Middle East is going to be uh, an unrest. Uh, it, it, it's going to be an unrest region. That is, um, 
it's not going to be a peaceful region forever because uh, skirmishes like this turn into war and wars like this turn into uh, broken relationships i would say so jordan got into a peace deal way back egypt was the first country to sign peace deal with uh, israel uh, now people were anticipating saudi arabia because uae uh, bahrain and uh, morocco already signed abraham accords with israel literally abraham accords um, went into bin uh, dustbin i would say because uh, if i might use if i might go to an extent by saying that abraham accords to an extent has failed in this particular instance so politically if you see uh, the bilateral relations uh, will actually uh, get tied apart and diplomatic relations uh, will have a huge massive blow and economically if you see there are two main things so one is um, everyone must have uh, uh, seen this uh, imec and uh, even you would have known by now so during g20 summit uh, prime minister modi had come up with the uh, india middle east economic corridor so it's one such a dream corridor i would say this is believed to actually uh, overtake bri um, uh, so imec was one such dream project where literally all the nations started supporting it uh, european union they literally came in support for it usa was in full support for it and saudi arabia went to an extent that they literally said uh, there's also a quote from reuters actually mohammed bin salman said the work is literally going to start tomorrow uh, so we literally had such a leverage over trade uh, through this particular project so it was it, it was a much awaited project but through this particular impact of war we can see we can very well see that uh, imec uh, is going to take a lot of uh, a hit and uh, it's going to uh, it's not going to come into a full fledged sort of a project anytime soon for sure um, and moreover people are talking about the oil prices as well uh, but i don't think right now oil prices uh, will have much of an impact i think uh, it had a 2 or 3% of increase i would say Uh, and that increase has been there ever since uh, countries started to import uh, oil from uh, third countries third party countries uh, from india like india literally imports oil from uh, crude oil from russia and exports in the form of vga vacuum gas oil so it literally exports in that form and there's no sanctions for it so ever since that particular process had begun they had increase in oil prices so now that russia is actually supplying supplying a lot of oil uh people uh, the european countries eventually is going to buy from some country or the other be it india or even from china uh but the problem over here is the uh, the main problem that the western countries are going to face is that the suez canal might again take a bad hit you know that uh, we had the uh, suez canal war uh, israel literally literally had a war with uh, the other gulf countries um we all know that uh, this particular issue was there and uh, president of egypt i, I think uh, nasser abdel nasser was there at that time so that blockade became a huge hit so my anticipation would be that uh, most probably uh, the suez canal uh, might have a huge trade impact because of this particular uh, war but uh, fuel prices might increase but not because of this particular war in specific but it might increase because of various other issues for listeners that there was a news that us was actually uh, going for a visa free program for israelis to come into usa i think that would be 
I don't know what would happen to that, but it was uh, assumed that it would start by November this month. So it might get extended or it might be preponed depending on the political situation in the US as well because there are a lot of crisis happening within US on the House of Representatives, which doesn't have a speaker till now, which is also affecting a lot of funding for Israel and Ukraine as well. So coming to our uh, next question, which should be based on India in particular. So India is an important player right now, we all know that. But again, how will India be affected of this crisis, which is located in the Middle East, given that there is ITU2, which is considered as a Middle Eastern Quad, and also the different projects which India is investing in Israel, as well as the arms which are being imported from Israel to India. And also the Adani uh, port in Haifa, which is also part of IMEC. So putting all these in a single frame, how do you think the impact of this particular attack going to be on India? Uh, it's going to be a massive, uh, it's going to have a massive impact on India for sure. Because um, as, you, uh, as you said clearly that um, I2U to UAE had also bec bec uh, become a formidable partner in uh, the Middle East along with the US, correct? And uh, these four countries actually emerged as, emerged as a powerful uh, block, I would say. But the point over here is that um, if you had seen clearly, even UAE had joined hands with Israel. And UAE says that it supports Israel and the causes, uh, the main root causes with Hamas. Um, the point over here is that uh, there won't be any political change as of now. Uh, and the stance is pretty much clear. Uh, but the fact over here is that uh, it will have uh, a great trade uh, uh, sort of uh, an issue and uh, obviously uh, the port in the Haifa like it will have a lot of hit and as I said in the IMEC as well Haifa plays a vital role uh, from Haifa the cargo goes to uh, Greece I believe so um, Adani port like uh, uh, there is no official news as of like what's going to be Adani port's uh, sort of development in Haifa as of now, but the thing is that uh, Haifa's port will not, it's not going to be relevant as of now uh, with this particular war and there wouldn't be any sort of development over there. I2U2, uh, if you look, look at it from an economic point of view, there wouldn't be any lack of funds. There wouldn't be uh, any lack of funds from the United States in particular because one of the main reasons why the United States was roped in uh, was actually to provide a lot of fundings with respect to uh, uh, this particular project and they do have a lot of uh, uh, naval bases over there. But uh, this has proven that um, the much-awaited IMEC was actually sort of an extension of ITO U2, uh, including a lot of other uh, countries in the Middle East as well as countries from Europe. So this particular initiative might have, uh, as I said, there will be a pause, there will be a temporary pause to this particular initiative and there wouldn't be any sort of next move or next update we'll be able to know uh, uh, in this current period of time uh, because of this particular war. So yeah, this is the main impact I would say. Uh, there wouldn't be any sort of uh, uh, things that's that's going to happen anytime pretty soon uh, as in with the development of uh, the trade. So I do you do as of now, uh, this particular block is in a in a, in a state wherein it is in a still state without any sort of any movement uh, due to already existing tensions around that particular region. There are a lot of Indian citizens who are uh, 
uh, working in Israel, studying in Israel, as well as a lot of tourists from India who are going to Israel, mainly visiting the holy sites of Jerusalem and everything. So, can you talk more about how the people-to-people contacts and the relationship between common Israelis and Indians are going to be affected? Also, in light of the Operation Ajay, which was announced by the government of India to bring back all the Indians who are stuck in the turmoil as such. So, do you think this will hurt India in the longer run because maybe people are coming back to India and for the foreseeable future, given the situation on Gaza, that Israel might um, create a ground incursion into Gaza and start bombing the Hamas targets as well as a lot of civilians will be affected. In the larger run, how do you think people-to-people contact and the relation, the public diplomacy in particular will be affected? Uh, the public diplomacy or such, the people-to-people relations or the cultural ties between these two nations uh, will not have uh, impact at all. Uh, in fact, uh, this will actually create more of such uh, bonding between the two nations and it will actually increase more people-to-people relations. The reason why I'm trying to say is that the first part, um, in the 21st century, like uh, if you see, uh, so if you see the 21st century, uh, mainly from 2007, I take 21st century because, like, since I said, like, there's no war for the past 50 years. Uh, from 20, from uh, um, 2007, if you see, in 2007 exactly, Hamas took over the entire Gaza. So at that point in time, the, uh, the uh, political situation was at the height and the security issues wasn't that good at all. So even at that point in time, Israeli government took personal initiatives in protecting uh, not just Indians, but other nationalities. And if you see, even at that point in time, uh, they had proper bunkers. They literally built a lot of bomb shelters. They had proper bunkers. And every single uh, house had uh, their own uh, bomb shelters which actually gave a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say asylum, but uh, they actually accommodate a lot of Indians as well. So Indians know pretty well how the infrastructure development over there in Israel is. And if you see clearly, most of the Indians, they do not reside in the southern part of Israel. Uh, they mostly reside in four, ma- uh, four major cities. Um, Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is the largest popular Indian population. Uh, then you have uh, Jerusalem. Then you have uh, Haifa. And you have Beersheba. Only in these four major regions, uh, there's a lot of Indi- Indian populations. And uh, in these four regions, if you see, they are least affected. Like uh, if you see Beersheba, uh, it's like almost uh, uh, 150 to 200 kilometers from uh, Gaza Strip, I would say. So uh, Beersheba, if you see, it's it's pretty clear that uh, these are less volatile. Obviously, they 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 do have uh, a lot of uh, rocket firings in these particular cities, but uh, the sirens, the bomb sirens and other infrastructure are very well placed in advance so that you don't need to panic. And coming to Operation Ajay, when uh, Dr. Jay Shankar, uh, when he tweeted that particular message, so he had mentioned clearly that people who wanted to come, they can come. So people who wanted to come in the sense, most of the tourists. Okay, so uh, a lot of tourists, like uh, they might have come there just for three, four days. They, they were thought to spend like uh, extra two, three days. So people who are struck over there at that point in time, they can come back. So uh, if you see more than 17,000 Indians are there in Israel right now. So most of the Indians who are working over there, as you said, they uh, they are uh, pursuing a lot of different professions over there, such as uh, people uh, have uh, 
lot of Indians have a good background over there, uh, especially in the field of medicines. Uh, they work as nurses and doctors. And a lot of uh, other people work as businessmen over there. So they have proper protection, they have proper insurance taken place already so that even if such things happen, even in the near future or even as of now, they do have their monetary uh, guarantees secured. They have their they have their own backups. So uh, people who uh, are trying to come over here, even if you had seen all these interviews in the TV, they would have said we had come just as a precautionary measure. That's it. And eventually a lot of Indians who came back, like uh, uh, the first flight, it took uh, 212 passengers, I guess, back to India. The first ever uh, flight for, uh, in Operation Ajay. It took 212 passengers, I guess. So if you ask two or three passengers, they themselves had given uh, uh, given um, interviews and they had said that uh, they are willing to go back. This is just a precautionary measure that they are trying to take. And moreover, coming back to the same cultural things, if you see India, a lot of Indians express their will, their willingness to fight in Israel. Uh, Naur Galon, uh, the official Israeli ambassador to India, he had mentioned about this particular thing when he had a press meeting. So public diplomacy is actually gained a lot of significance because uh, we share similar sentiments. We literally share similar sort of traumas that we are actually undergoing every single day. People in Kashmir especially, they uh, sympathize with Israeli people because they are dealing with them day to day life. So they don't want to stay away from it. And as I said, a uh, lot of businessmen who are based out of uh, Israel, mainly uh, based out of Tel Aviv and uh, Haifa, they have their finances, they have their insurances banned up. So they just have to come back so that uh, they can secure their own life. And moreover, they are safe. A lot of people have even tweeted saying that they are in the safe places. They are under proper bomb shelters. They, they have been placed uh, securely and protected. Uh, and they, ha they are in a constant contact with our embassy. And our embassy is, by the way, our embassy is doing a very great job over there. Uh, because they had updated a lot of things. And even if you see for Operation Ajay, our embassy, they had uh, received a lot of applications at midnight, 12 o'clock. And within three, four hours, they had approved. And people who have come back, they said like, They've gotten their uh, this thing uh, evacuation approved in three four hours, and uh, within twenty four hours they are back to their homeland. So this is uh, uh, both the bondage between uh, Israeli people and Indian people, and the way in which the uh, Operation Ajay was executed. Both convey the same thing. It is seamless. It doesn't have any breaks. And uh, this is the thing that I want to summarize on. Yeah. Privileges in this, and we know a lot of these things. We listen to news we know much about ir we know much about israel palestine so we know this might be a very temporary situation or it might be that india uh, israel is quite a safe country for a lot of people to settle in but again just imagine if uh, we talk about this to a lot of other people a lot of common people who might have say plan to study in israel or work there would they change their mind or even for that matter, it be our parents or anyone yeah. or close relatives who are watching TV right now. They might have stereotyped both Israel and Palestine as a very dangerous place on earth to be right now. So in that sense, don't you feel that there might be a set of people who may not choose Israel in future just because this has happened and there might be a chance that such instances might put off a lot of people from 
going that with uh, that particular country in particular so uh, this is actually a tricky question because uh, as you said clearly that um, as academicians we know what's going on but the thing is that for layman it's it's pretty tough to understand so this is the main disadvantage because media they actually portray some things that i wouldn't say stereotype but they portray in a way that is actually beneficial to them beneficial to their country actually so the way uh, media portrays them as of now in israel is that it, it's they literally portraying israel as what is happening in syria <laughs> although uh, syria has far more underdeveloped than israel that portraying in such a way that uh, they want to show people that uh, for instance uh, i don't want to pick names with the the media outlets but we all know which outlets support which sides one media outlet from uh, a middle eastern country they uh, they say that uh, uh, israel is very uh, it's it's going against the humanitarian causes of people and it's going against the humanity entire mankind actually they wanted to literally make the other side palestinian side to vanish and the other media outlet uh, from europe they are trying to say that uh, you know actually palestinians uh, have a lot of uh, grudge against uh, uh, israel and uh, they did such a thing supporting hamas so what i would say to all the people who are watching over here is that uh, we should be very very diligent taking a lot of decisions okay we should know like what you're supposed to trust and what you're not supposed to trust like uh in tamil there's a thing called uh, i would like to give a small uh, anecdote there's a thing called pagatharivu uh, so pagatharivu means like you have to literally differentiate the the ability of our mind to actually distinguish what is right and what is wrong and what you're supposed to take in so we should have a particular method as in person we have to see in a position where you should assume that what if you are there in that particular position Uh, it's not how they portray but what will what you might have done in that particular position i don't want to go deep into the psychology of one particular individual over there but i just want to say that uh, yes in future this will actually cause a lot of trouble uh, if you con- if you want to convince your parents to have your studies in israel or if you convince even if you, if you uh, even if you want to visit israel personally it's difficult to convince your spouse or your partner to go over there and chill for some time and uh, this is actually going to be really problematic and this assurance is completely related upon the uh, political party i would say uh right now they are trying to eliminate all those enemies like if you are if you have regularly seen the updates um netanyahu is pretty specific is very particular on eliminating a lot of uh, terrorists as of now so uh from now even if it ends next week or even if it ends next month <laughs> for the next 6 months it's, it's it's pretty difficult for everyone to rebuild and come to their uh, normal life so the government should uh, give the guarantee they should show in their actions in such a way that they could gain trust among the global community as uh, a particular image that israel could give as a country that is safe place for them and coming back to palestine issue uh, to be frank i want to visit palestine um, one of the main things is that uh, obviously israeli visas for indians is pretty strict Uh, uh, from the hindsight uh, but thing is that in palestine if you see there's same such stereotype as in palestine is very dangerous and uh, uh, 
uh, there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of guns on the roads and it's, it's going to be really difficult for you to uh, cross from one city to another. But if you see cities like, in, in Palestine I'm talking about, if you see cities like uh, Nablus, as I said, if you, city, if you see cities like Hebron and Ramallah or even Bethlehem for that instance, like these cities actually have a rich history. So obviously with the current uh, war that's happening, uh, even Palestine's image is going to have a lot of flip side and it's going to have a big blow on their, uh, I wouldn't say tourism, but uh, influx of uh, foreign visitors to their country. So all we have to do is that we have to go to the academic websites and we have to see the authors more than the media outlets, more than media people. We have several websites, even I think Jairam, uh, you could actually give a lot of documents and you can give a lot of citations as well. So we, if you have time for 10-15 minutes, you can read a lot of articles and uh, uh, registered uh, scholarly publi publishings that has, that has been published in websites. So these reveal normal information, like just normal information, simple information, simple to read information that everyone could understand. It doesn't have really like, we have a lot of academic languages with uh, fancy words and uh, big, big vocabulary and things like that. But we also do have a lot of authors dedicated to bring out the truth apart from the media. We have to search for the truth, obviously. We can't literally see something in front of our eyes and we can't believe uh, just from the face value. So we have to come out of the face value and we have to do our own research. Uh, yeah. Hope I've answered your question, Jack. So, where exactly do you see the foreseeable future? Maybe with the given information and given uh, the ground situation, how do you think this will go on? Maybe at least for the next few days or months. Okay, so looking at the present updates, um, for sure, uh, Israel is going for a full-fledged invasion in Gaza. And um, as you UN uh, got uh, furiated with the point made by Israel, it said that uh, there will be a lot of humanitarian uh, outbreaks that's going to happen because of this particular invasion, things like that. There's going to be a lot of uh, skirmishes from other international organizations as well, such as Organization of Hitifani Cooperation, OIC, and the Arab League, and whatnot. Like, you was, you're going to face a lot of other. It's, it's, uh, I would say it's going to keep you engaged for another month, I would say. Uh, it literally, it's going to keep you engaged because there's going to be a lot of other uh, impact or uh, responses from other countries as well. Uh, if you see a country such as Russia, uh, they have given their opinion about uh, this particular incident. And uh, Iran, from, from scratch, they have been very, very active on this particular issue. And things like that. So even if we take, like, I don't know for sure, hypothetically, if you see that this particular war gets over in one month, it's going to take another six months for them to settle. As I said, it's going to take another six months to come to a normal life, to a normalcy. Uh, so for sure, I guess, uh, till uh, June 2024, I guess uh, it's going to be rough especially uh, not just in Israel, but even in other countries as well, because uh, they will be deciding as to what's their, what's going to be their next move. Uh, what are they going to do next? Uh, how are they going to connect it? Because another big giant, our neighbor, 
China is actually waiting for such an opportunity to be frank. They are ready to pitch in with BRI. We only have an IMEC, we have an MOU. Uh, now BRI, BRI is going to pitch in like anything. They don't consider both the risk factor and all, at all. So they are going to pitch in. So, uh, and apart from that, you, you will be having a lot of internal struggles uh, going to happen. And uh, once this war gets over, there's going to be a commission that is established in Israel uh, by analyzing what went wrong and how how they went wrong. Okay, like uh, after Kargil war, we had Kargil commission, correct? We analyzed uh, uh, what went wrong and how it went wrong and things like that. So similarly, even Israel will uh, have such a commission after the war, uh, the, uh, uh, like highlighting the aftermath of war as well, and also what went down at the point in time. So there will be a lot of internal disturbances in that particular region uh, going on for the next six months, assuming if the war gets over within a month. Citations. For starters, I can suggest you two or three uh, journals actually. Uh, they actually deal with a lot of basics of uh, Israel. So first, I would like to uh, point out uh, one author called uh, Yair Valak. Uh, so he had written uh, one particular journal called uh, Trapped in Mirror Images, the Rhetoric of Maps in Israel and Palestine. So this basically talks about the primary conflict, the basic understanding of uh, why this particular conflict arises, what are the root causes, and how the territory uh, has been really uh, uh, has really played a major role in this particular uh, uh, conflict since uh, uh, the 1970s, the Balfour Declaration and things like that. Uh, so it, it, it has a very uh, it has a good trajectory, historical trajectory from 1917 till date. As in, like what went wrong? It was actually published in 2011, so it is also relevant with the 21st century uh, sort of a rhetoric that I'm talking about. And uh, the second uh, article that I would like to recommend is The Dilemmas of the Conflict. Um, it is actually uh, written by uh, Kinvraj Jangid. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a very, very uh, uh, niche uh, article, I would say, because they mainly focus on what a conflict is and how this, this type of conflict arises. Uh, like what are the nature of those conflicts and how would they give rise to such thing called terrorism? So this is one particular thing. And uh, I would also like to say that uh, any publisher related to this particular article from Rutledge. Rutledge is a really uh, very well uh, articulated uh, publisher. And uh, they literally publish uh, in a way that you a lot of laymen actually can understand. And they put a lot of simple words to it. Even we academicians refer a lot from uh, Rutledge. And uh, the last article that I would like to say is that uh, there's an article by Jeffrey Herf, uh, published by the Cambridge University Press. It's called Israel's Moment, International Support for an Opposition to Establishing the Jewish State, 1945-1949. So it primarily states what are the reasons why, uh, what are the, uh, why uh, Israel wanted this particular region demanded from the British as from Balfour Declaration. And uh, what is the necessity of establishment of a Jewish state? So this is a one such question that everyone asks. And this is one of the root causes of all these problems that's happening in the entire Middle East from 1945. Uh, so these articles I would like to recommend uh, for the starters. So you can actually go through all these articles so that you can have a better insight. And as I said, you can literally observe information that is correct 
and what is relevant to you and what is shown in the public so these uh, journals and these articles will actually give you better insights of how you are supposed to deal with conflicts such as uh, this particular existing uh, war especially in a region a middle eastern region where you have as i said in the beginning you have several layers to it so it helps for your better understanding of this particular region thank you so much mahesh for um, being here that to on a very quick notice just giving you the topics and subtopics just um, less than 24 hours before you did an excellent job with handling this particular set of questionnaire and how will you actually um, even the answers that you articulated and the resources that you gave were really top notch so before you go i would like to have a uh, feedback from you on how this podcast went and mostly how was your podcast experience as well as maybe say how my podcast is going and how is it helping people if you are interested you can yeah so uh, one of our main criteria as academicians of international relations and geopolitics is that whatever we are trying to learn from an academic field we should uh, make sure that uh, it should it should be understandable for layman it should be understandable for common people so what you're doing is really great because uh, we do a lot of researches we do a lot of complicated studies uh, and we comprehend in such a way that uh, out of uh, common people are supposed to understand so what you are doing is it's a tremendous job i would say uh, one feedback i would like to say is that it can be more of interactive uh, so as i said middle east is such a region where you have a lot of layers so my perspective might differ from your perspective so uh, i can engage in a sort of a debate wherein uh, even if i make sort of some sort of mistake or even if my uh, statement is correct uh you have complete right to refute my particular point and um, a lot of such interactive session can happen in your podcast i've been listening to your podcast regularly i've been uh, listening to a lot of uh, uh high profile speakers in your podcast so uh, i'm expecting that sort of uh, uh, a heated debate actually to be more precise uh, more of an interactive session so that uh, it will be easy for me to actually observe what you wanted and what uh, your viewers uh, are expecting from both of our conversation so this is one such feedback that from my end i thought uh, this would be great and uh, keep up this job uh, keep up doing this particular great job uh, and enlighten people as usual so and it's been a privilege uh, to join this podcast jaram uh, it's, it's it's a long pending Uh, viewers don't know it's actually a lo- it's a it's a long time pending list it's actually wish listed to be more precise but yeah uh, and it was wonderful uh, being in this podcast thanks so, jaram thank you so much mai so also just um, picking up on what exactly you said so we can have an interactive podcast but the problem here is so i am a constant speaker on my podcast it would be great if a new person comes each and every episode and that particular person is going to stick only or largely for that particular episode so it's my to say courtesy to actually give the guest more time than my other thing uh, with respect to the contrary views or the challenges in views i think that's totally fine it's not just about our opinion it's also about a lot about facts and the guest perception that's more important because i write a lot of articles and listeners know about these articles so if you want my personal views and my perspective you can read the articles but podcast were i believe others are getting more chance than me 
and of course i have started making a monologue podcast where i present a lot of my articles in the form of maybe a topic which you like more and definitely i also like israel palestine and a lot of middle eastern politics but again for having a podcast episode on this particular topic should be due to the crisis that's happening so maybe my sure like that finally we got into a consensus that we'll do and in a short period of time i gave him a small uh, structure on how exactly we'll move on with it so i think in that sense maybe if we are going to have another episode we can make sure it's more interacting and more entertaining to the audience so that they can uh, stick on more to the content as well as enjoy different perspectives my so any anything else you want to tell before i fair enough like what you said it might actually overlap since we have a lot of interactive questions as i said yeah this might create a lot of overlapping in between audios and things like that so yeah this is pretty understandable and uh, i think this is pretty common among uh, having uh, a lot of podcasts that's being organized so i think this is pretty fair enough and uh, yeah so we <laughs> came into a consensus of doing this particular podcast and i'm thrilled actually uh, uh, i don't know your viewers should uh, tell you and they should convey as in like uh, did they like my uh, way or uh, my style of explaining things because i take time in explaining things because as you know like i mainly focus on interacting with the audience as well so i take my own time explaining things that's why my most of my words are uh, pretty it's like zigzag <laughs> and um, yeah uh, i'm thrilled to be in this podcast again uh, fingers crossed <laughs> i hope so and that's it uh, thanks for this opportunity once again jira so i'll be attaching the social media handles of you can reach out to him you can connect to him also at, i'll be attaching all the references and few of it okay i won't be cramping up too much with the resources part but few resources i'll be definitely attaching which are generally hard to find. so i thank mahesh for being here and also being a big brain who has been definitely one of the most intellectual person in our class who not only just made his intellectual points clear but also entertained us a lot with his unique views which are not exactly would say confrontational but i would say a unique perspective that he brought to us so thank you once again and i also learned a lot from whatever you said including the resources which you provided and also the perspective on israeli domestic politics thank you once again to all the listeners who stick till the end and do fill the polls on the spotify if you are listening on spotify where you will have the polls where you can give in your feedback so i'll directly forward it to the guest of the day mahesh as well as if you have understood the topics presented do click on yes otherwise do let us know what exactly are or what exactly is going wrong from our side beyond which i urge you all to follow us on all social uh, social media handles and also the podcast handles as well as well as whichever platform you are hearing this podcast from because we are on 20 different platforms across the internet so this is your chance to follow us in all these places as well as in particularly subscribe to where you actually listen to us from whether it be spotify amazon music google podcast or whatever it may be and thanks again to mahesh who is the guest of the day and you all for hearing this podcast episode and do check out our articles also which are both fact based opinion based then ex